Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 358 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021, and I bet you thought you were going to hear from us sooner today, and we apologize for that. We will explain exactly what we're thinking, and uh, we will try to delve into what we think the Duke basketball program is thinking around some pretty unfortunate news that came out this afternoon. We also have a game to talk about. Uh, this is part of why we we didn't podcast yet was that we were hoping to get a little bit more clarity from the game about uh, about the bad news. So we'll we'll dive into all of that as best we can. I am your host. I am Sam Klein. I am joined by Jason Evans. Donald Juan unfortunately is not with us. His travels continue. So it's just. Jason and I holding down the fort. Jason, good evening. Uh, what? <laughs> tell me about your your emotional state today. It's a tough day for a Duke fan because you don't like to hear about our kids getting in trouble. You like to think of the program as squeaky clean. We all know there is a reality, though, to being a college kid. And sometimes college kids do foolish, stupid things. Um, and that's what apparently happened over the weekend with some members of the Duke basketball team, including Coach K's grandson. So we, we so, have to deal with it. We have to move on. And we have to – Duke. I think Duke is handling this in the right way so far. I mean, you know, we don't have nearly as many facts as Nina King and Coach K do. But what I've heard so far, it sounds like the way they're handling it is appropriate. So I will – I'll ask it to you again about that after we kind of make sure we know the facts as of this moment. So while we are recording, it is approximately 9.30 p.m. on the East Coast, Tuesday night. The uh, Duke game against Gardner-Webb just finished about 20 or 30 minutes ago. So we were recording after that. Uh, the, the news was broken this morning by Steve Wiseman over at the Raleigh News and Observer. Please support local journalism because it is important and it gets you stories like this faster than uh, than you would otherwise. But Steve Wiseman reports that uh, Paulo Bancaro uh, was uh, given a cited for aiding and abetting DWI, while Michael Savarino, the walk-on, Coach K's grandson, um, was arrested on the scene at approximately one o'clock in the morning uh, Sunday this past Sunday. So it would be Saturday night in Orange County, which is where Chapel Hill is. Uh, presumably, the guys were were coming back from Chapel Hill at, at, at that hour. It's not uncommon for Duke students, I would say, to be to be out at Chapel Hill uh, late at night on a on a Saturday. And it, and, and it should it should be noted it was Paolo it was Paolo Bancaro's birthday. I think it is highly likely the team went to celebrate somewhere. Yes. So so the team was out, and uh, Severino was driving Paolo's car. Uh, and and was pulled over for running through a stop sign. He uh, was then subsequently arrested uh, for DWI. The he had numerous signs of intoxication, so he was taken in. Paul and, he, was and he's a citation. He, he's admitted that, uh, like the cops said to him, "Have you been drinking?" And he said, "I've had a few shots." Yeah. So um, so there's so, sort of no yeah. <laughs> there's kind of no disputing that at this point. And then uh, so so that news came out that about late morning today. This afternoon, Mike Krzyzewski and the Duke men's basketball program put out a statement saying we're reviewing a legal matter involving two members of the men's basketball team. Any further actions as a result of this situation will ultimately be determined by the director of athletics and university officials. So that would be Nina King and associates, Coach K 
I assume will be involved, but it, but apparently is not the deciding factor here. Now, fast forward to game time. Michael Severino was nowhere to be found on the sideline or in the stadium uh, for the game against Gardner Webb. Paulo Banquero was there. He started. He played a lot. He was integral to Duke's victory, Duke's big victory this evening against Gardner Webb. We will talk about the game, just the game after the break, but wanted Jason to kind of get your thoughts on what we know so far. And obviously, this is still a developing story. Duke fans have only known about this for the last 12 or so hours, and we're sure that there will be sort of more information coming out over the next few days about exactly what happened and how the program is handling it. Yeah, and uh, in the post-game press conference, which, which is still going on, Coach K said that uh, Paulo Bancaro and Michael Savarino's situations were completely different, and so it prompted different circumstances, different consequences, I should say. And, and I think that's, that's where everyone is on this, which is that uh, Michael Savarino got behind the wheel when he was intoxicated and he drove a car. That is a, a, a super dangerous thing to do. It is illegal for a good reason. You're putting yourself in danger. You're putting your passengers in danger. You're putting other people who, innocent people on the road in danger. It, it's something that as a society, we have grown less and less and less tolerant of over the years. I've heard people saying like, oh, there've been players in the past who did things like this and, you know, consequences. I, I don't want to hear any of that talk about the past. I don't want to hear about, you know, what potentially happened with Bobby Hurley, JJ Redick, Ala Abdelnabi. They're, they're Duke players who've been in similar kind of situations to this. Each, each circumstance is different, of course. I don't want to hear about it because we're, we're in 2021. And, and circumstances dictate perhaps a different attitude about things today than they did back then. Uh, and so I am not at all surprised that it would appear that Michael Savarino has been suspended from the team um, for some period of time. Uh, I, I, I've heard talk that it's going to be indefinite, which, which is a nice... Uh, Duke likes to do the indefinite suspension kind of thing because it, it, it doesn't tie you into anything. If for some reason the, the player, the, uh, if the kid you know, seems like they've really learned their lesson... Um, if they've done a lot of stuff to repent and make up for it, then you can make the suspension shorter. If they, if they seem like they're not learning their lesson, you can make the suspension longer. And, uh, and so I, I like the indefinite suspension for that, for that very reason. And at the same time, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how anyone could say that Paolo Bancaro should be suspended or, or, or suffer any kind of meaningful penalty here. His crime appears to have been that he handed his keys to Michael Savarino. That, that's, that's sort of the way this law works. Aiding and abetting in a DWI is a crime where in most cases it is that you knew someone was intoxicated and you still allowed them to drive. And, and usually it is a, a case where someone, where you have handed your keys, you've given your keys to someone and they, then, and they then drove the car. I understand why the law exists. I think making people more responsible for the actions of the people around them is, is probably a, a, a good thing. Um, but on the other hand, it is, is not that serious a crime. And, and it feels like the kind of thing that, that Coach K and Duke will probably deal with Paulo in private. I, I can imagine that he has gotten a sober and stern lecture. And, uh, and there probably will be things he will have to do that will not be necessarily made public. Um, but but I, 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 don't, I don't for a moment think that this is a guy who should sit out one, multiple, or games, whatever, because of what appears to be a very, very, very minor infraction. 
Jason, I, I'm going to disagree with you. And I'll say that I thought it was awkward, actually, that Paulo was playing this evening. Um, we don't know how much the we don't know how much more the program knows than than the public knows. But um, I thought that it was in in rather weird taste, even though I understand that that Paulo's uh, crime here was less severe than than Michael Saverino's, that he was involved and that it was his car and that I, I think he should have known better than all of this tells me that at the very least, he should have been suspended, sort of pending a little bit more uh, news coming out. And and that Coach K is actually setting a, a, a pretty weird, to me, is setting a, a pretty weird um, position here. I, I agree that Saverino should have been suspended and that uh, and that it would not be sort of out of the realm of of acceptable for Coach K to decide to remove him from the team entirely after a thing like this. Because as as you were saying, I think we're we're probably too tolerant of this sort of behavior as a society. And Coach K is someone who who wants to be and is a a key leader in a number of communities, be it at Duke, in Durham, in college basketball, in 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 college athletics as a whole. And and I wish that he would have set a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit tougher of a of a response to this now, over the summer. I think that the the story that was this was getting a lot today by a lot of college basketball media was Mark Few, who was arrested over the summer for a DUI and and was suspended from the Gonzaga program. He's the head coach, by the way. He was suspended from the program for one game. He wasn't allowed to coach one game for the Zags at the beginning of the season and was able to keep his job was able to Techn- basically hey, technically it was two games but one of them was Techn- an exhibition okay. <laughs> sure whatever the the point whether it was one or two or three he basically didn't get removed from the program for any meaningful portion of the season was not uh it is is he was not limited in participating in a potential national championship run for Gonzaga because all of that came in the context of Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country. They were one of the best teams in the country last year, et cetera, et cetera. And the team basically had no, like th- there was no sort of limitation on Mark Few's participation in, in the game this year in, in, in the, in the program this year. So uh, that was the backdrop. And I, I think it, it's appropriate to look at that and say, okay, what did Mark Few get? And he's a, He's a much older, much more mature person who's running the whole program. You can't possibly punish people more than that. Frankly, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I, I, I know, like Saverino, whatever punishment Coach K and the athletic director thinks is okay is is totally fine by me. If they want to punish him by kicking him off the team, then that seems completely appropriate. I, I, I don't think that we should um, be tolerant. Of this kind of behavior, and and I do think that that Paulo should have been suspended, and I felt awkward a little bit watching the game tonight, knowing that all of this had just come out, and that and that the team put out. Look, the the, the program is entitled to its response to this. It's a private institution, blah blah blah. They don't have to do the same kind of. Uh, it's not the same kind of access that a public school would have to have. But to me, it, it's a it's a pretty bad look. And and Coach K, if if you're gonna knock him for sort of any character flaws over the last however many years, one of the things that I don't think he does as well as we would like is address some of these disciplinary issues in public and tell 
you know, people in the media, the, the fans, the public tell us exactly how he's punishing these players, because let's face it, he's a role model here. And, and I think that, you know, not all the criticism that, that Carolina fans and Kentucky fans, and whoever else levels at him is fair, but, but I would like, I would like for him to be a bit more public about this sort of thing. So let me respond in a couple of ways. First of all, I kind of agree with you about him being more public and about Duke being a little more public. On the other hand, I, I understand that these are the private lives of these individuals. And, and I mean, they are public figures, I guess, because they play for Duke University. But at the same time, I, I, get, I get why in this era of, you know, tons of activity on social media and everything else out there, you want to try and keep things a little bit private when you can. And, and like I said, I, I think handling it internally and, and referring to suspensions as indefinite gives you leeway to adjust things along the way, depending on how the player is doing. And I, 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 I could have, I, I would have liked to see the statement that the athletic department put out or that, that, that the basketball team put out to one, address the names of the players because everyone who's reading this news knows exactly yeah, it's a what little silly about yeah they didn't like they could say we know about the uh we know the about media the reports that, yeah yeah exactly we know about media reports and and, and police reports it's not just media reports it's yeah, police exactly. reports like steve yes. wiseman was reading was reading orange county police reports we know what michael saverino and paulo bancaro did we know what they've admitted to we've talked to them about this um and and we are determining the best course forward for the time being. Michael Saverino won't be with the team. Like, like he could have been more explicit about it. And I think we would have, I, I, I personally would have reacted a little bit better to that. Instead, they did the slightly more mealy mouthed, uh, you know, press release type thing where everyone knows what you're talking about. Why don't you just say it? Why don't you just own what's going on? I, I don't disagree with you at all. And, and that's very Coach K. Uh, he, he, we, we refer sometimes to the cone of silence around the Duke program. And, you know, we never hear about injuries and things like that. And there's strategic reasons for that kind of thing here. There's no real strategic reason for it. Uh, I, I don't think kicking Michael Savarino off the team for the whole year would be appropriate. If, if that's what they decide, I think that they probably have, you know, evidence, information, testimony, whatever you want to call it, that, that justifies it. I think the kids should be allowed to to make up for his, his wrongdoing and, and come back and rejoin what, what appears to be a pretty special team. I, I want to go back to, to Paulo. I've, I've heard, I've heard some folks say people who are legal experts, I, which I am most certainly not that the, the citation that Paulo received is not entirely different from, you know, a bad traffic violation kind of thing. Not like, a speeding ticket, but like maybe an excessive speeding ticket or driving recklessly, something like that. Uh, that it is not a, a but but it is not a, a serious crime. It's not a crime that, um, you know, under any circumstance uh, other than something truly truly extreme that we can't even really come up with in our head would carry any kind of prison sentence. Um, it's not even something that carries any kind of stiff fine. In fact, my understanding is that the vast 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 majority, and this is a crime by the way that is not charged very often. Is very very rarely charged, and the vast majority of these cases end up being uh, a, a situation where, like, you you take some alcohol um, awareness class, and then they dismiss the charges. Like, 
there, there aren't even that many people on the books who have this as a conviction. So for you to say that they should suspend this guy for a game or more, I don't know. Like I say, I, I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. I think a internal punishment, he probably, he probably ran some stairs. That's for sure. Ran some steps. I just don't know. I just don't know how representative that is of, of what he did wrong here. And, and I'm not, I, I would not describe myself as a very strict disciplinarian. I, I was not really raised in that kind of environment, but I can understand in this instance, if, if the, the other, Coach the K other thing I would to do more, right. The other thing I would note is that we know what's in the police report and a little tiny bit of other stuff that's been leaked. That's a very superficial amount of knowledge of this coach right. K Nina King. I'm sure have spoken to both the players. I, I would not be surprised if there were other players involved. Paula was in the backseat that sort of says to me, there are probably other people in the car with them. Um, so my bet is that, and this happened again, you know, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So there's been a couple days. Uh, my bet is that the athletic department and the basketball program has a really clear picture of everything that happened, everything that led up to it. And, uh, and that they decided not to, not to even suspend Paul, you know, not even have Paulo come off the bench or something like the, you know, there's some symbolic kind of things you can do with a player where you don't start him, or maybe he doesn't play the first half or, you know, there are things like that that you can do to not to do none of that says to me, they looked at this and they really don't think that Paulo did much of anything wrong. And I don't feel like we have enough information to, to dispute that. All, all I want, I guess, in that case then is a bit more transparency from the program. And you're never going to, you're never going to, I know. And that, and that, and that's, a, and that's a bummer. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a bummer and, and a bit of a failure of leadership here. So uh, that, it is, that's who, just, it is who that, he is. He's been that way for a long time. I mean, this is yeah. a guy who has a, the only way to get to his office is a special elevator and you need like a special code to even press the floor that he's on. He lives, yeah, well, I, he lives I, I, in a bubble. And I, I, I don't know if I can speak for my entire generation, but but I'll say that uh, I I would like for us to demand more of leaders and and wish that, you know, just just because this is how Coach K has run the program for a long time doesn't mean that it's right. And and I would I would like to see a bit more here. I would like to see him see him bit of, be a bit more forward with this issue, even if it's not uh, even if even if he's not suspending the guy all the all the stuff. Um, so anyway, we will, I'm sure we'll do more on this topic as, as more details emerge. Uh, perhaps the program will release more details. Uh, perhaps we'll, we'll get more reporting from, from folks who are in Durham and, and are able to, to un unearth more of what's going on here. We'll leave it there for now. We'll certainly let Donald uh, give his two cents when we next have him on the show. We'll take a very quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the actual game tonight, which was between Duke and Gardner Webb. It was a, you know, if we can, if we can put away this whole, this whole saga for a second, it was a, it was a pretty fun one. So stick around. Normally when we do one of these shows, we, we start off immediately with what happened in the game. And of course we didn't do that tonight because there was bigger news at hand, but after all the all the news was coming out about Michael Saverino and Paulo Bancaro, Duke played a basketball game this evening. They beat the Gardner Webb running Bulldogs. It, the final score was ninety two to fifty two. It was forty seven to twenty seven at the half. 
So a very clean 20-point lead built up in the first half and another 20-point lead in the second half. This one was was close, I think, for the first 10 or 12 minutes or so of the of the game, lined up nicely with... Uh, I'd say that the, the time that it was competitive was approximately the same amount of time that it took for ACC Network to straighten out the, the streaming feed. I know that I was not the only one <laughs> that had issues watching this game because I saw social media talking about how the, the feed would intermittently cut out. I didn't have audio when I first turned it on. There was no score bug. So I had no idea what was going on. I can tell uh, you everything. Bally's sports, Bally sports South was, was my way of watching the game. Great signal. It worked beautifully for me. Did it? Yeah. Bally's. Oh sports man. South. Yeah. You were, well, I, I think you were one of the lucky ones. So either you were in Cameron or you were, or you had uh, Jason's cable package and you were able to watch this game. I was watching it on, on Hulu Live in the apartment, and it was it was a nightmare. I had to refresh the thing a whole bunch of times. But by the time the feed was working correctly, Duke was starting to pull away. There were a number of great performances. So, Jason, I'll, I'll let you start just with the headline from tonight's game. Mark Williams is back. That's my headline. I was going to go with uh, Trevor Keels lights it up from three to... Uh, remove some of the distraction from Duke this evening. So uh, good. We're we're highlighting, I think, two different players had great nights for Duke. So Jason, I guess I'll let you start with the good, and and you can tell me about Mark Williams, who I think it's very early in the season, but definitely had his best game of the young season so far. Yeah, no question about it. Mark Williams on on this game went for thirteen points, only three rebounds, uh, but six block shots and. Uh, you talked about, you know, when Duke started to pull away sort of late in that first half uh, and then really salted the game away early in the second half. That was Mark Williams time. Mark Williams, um, uh, just to say that he owned the paint doesn't even do justice to the way that he owned the paint. It really felt to me, by the way, like the team was making a conscious effort to get Mark Williams involved uh, early on in the game. They went to him a, a couple early possessions and it it didn't it didn't work out too well the first few times they went to him. And I was like, oh, I even took a little note. I was taking notes, you know, on my computer while I was watching. And I was like, oh, he he's still not the dominant player he was at the end of last year, but he's starting to look a little bit better. And then as the half continued, <laughs> he got better and better. And by the end, he was completely dominant. Uh, the, the rebound and putback that he had at like 155 left in the half was absolutely stunning. He's surrounded by three, four other players. He goes up above them. He grabs it. They're reaching for the ball. They, they like reach his elbows. He's up so high. He grabs it. And then he turns around and does a really athletic, almost finger rollish kind of uh, layup to finish the shot. Uh, I said in the pregame, when we were discussing Gardner Webb and who they are as a team, I pointed out that they're one of the worst teams in the country in terms of getting their shot blocked. Boy, did they show that against Mark Williams. <laughs> they went inside again and again against him. And he continually said, uh-uh, no, no, I am sending the ball back the other direction. And Duke turned those six block shots into fast breaks again and again and again to really stretch out this lead and turn what had been a close game into a laugher. And not just those six blocks, but he altered a lot more shots that were happening in the paint where guys were driving in or, or trying to get rebounds. Duke really shored up the um, you know, some of the of the rebounding woes and the and the interior defensive woes in this game. And, and and Williams was a big part of that. He also was able to stay on the floor for 21 minutes and only committed two fouls. That is probably something we need to watch this year with with Mark Williams is is the foul trouble. Uh, not a not a concern 
tonight for for Williams or for anyone else on the team. This game also, I think, really highlighted not just Williams's ability to contribute here, but but how long the bench is. And before I I get yeah, to Trevor yeah. Keels, I wanted to I wanted to highlight that um, you know Joey Baker played 21 minutes tonight. AJ Griffin played 16 and 16 really good minutes. Not not 16. You know it, he he disappeared for for little stretches. But had a few more, I think, highlights than we than we'd seen from him already this year. And by the way, Bates Jones, ten uh, minutes tonight off the bench, hit one of two of his of his three point attempts. Uh, was was moving around on defense, so that was really encouraging to see. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? Um, when Bates Jones is in the game, they were using him the same way they use Paulo Bancaro, which is. Power forward, come to the high post. We're going to get you the ball, and you're going to be able to turn around and distribute to other players based on playing here in the high post. And I was really intrigued that Bates Jones was able to handle that kind of responsibility. It's essentially sort of like running your offense through that through that power forward position. They did that with Paulo Bancaro, you know, throughout the entire contest. And and you know, I'll, I'll talk more about him in a little bit. But I agree with you. I I, I thought Bates did a, a nice job, but but Joey Baker um, and AJ Griffin. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Theo John, we're, we're all really excellent today off the bench. Joey Baker, especially, um, he, he's you know putting together already on the season. This this game and and the last game, I, I think, clearly appear to be probably his two best games in a Duke uniform. He's very confident with his shot. He he loves that. I, I mentioned it last time. He loves that little you know I'm going to give you a pump fake. You're going to fly by, and then I'm going to take a step to the side and and take a three pointer. He was only one of four on threes today. But every one of them was dead on target, you know, just barely rimmed out. And and he's going to have, we predicted this, he's going to have games where he hits um, three, four, five plus three pointers. He did a really nice job taking the ball to the basket. I thought Joey Baker, he had three steals also. I thought Joey Baker had one of his better games in the Duke uniform. Um, really to the point about to, to the point about Bates Jones, he was playing in that in that high post area because Gardner Webb was showing a lot of zone defense. Yes. And yes. Duke was getting, and this is how first. Duke will play Syracuse, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so Paulo is, is well positioned in terms of his skills to, to break that zone. And I guess coach K rightfully, it seems uh, thought that Bates Jones could, could play a similar role. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as Duke uh, moves through its schedule, certainly when they play Syracuse, but there will definitely be other teams that throw a zone defense at Duke that, that they have to, that they have to deal with one-on-one. It's a totally different, uh, scenario for Duke on offense, and that leads me to Trevor Keels, who yeah, I think is a, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, is a is a is a player that you really want playing one on one against guys. He was not as successful tonight driving the basketball as he was shooting. You know what? I'll take it. Uh, he he was dominant tonight from deep, four for six from beyond the three point arc, and uh, looked really smooth hitting those hitting those shots. Um, sort of in the flow of the offense. So, uh, by the I, way, I, he had he had seven rebounds and four assists too. Trevor Keels really put up a complete effort in this game. Absolutely, and 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 if you were worried that Keels is just going to be a driver and that and that teams were going to maybe be able to sag off of him a little more and and get in better defensive position to stop his the way that he runs downhill at the basket, uh, think again after tonight. I, I think that the version of Trevor Keels that we've seen early in the season, if he's, if he puts all of those elements together is going to be so unstoppable, uh, not just for Duke, but th- that will translate really well to the NBA. It's not like he's the smallest guy on the court. He's got size. And if he's got shooting, then uh, this is going to be a, a really dominant player. And, and I want to talk about the other guys in the backcourt, because I, I thought this was a, a, a really complete game um, for Wendell Moore, 
for Jeremy Roach and for Trevor Keels. All three of them hit more than half of their shots from the field. Um, they, they, they looked good taking three pointers. They, com- uh, uh, they combined to be um, six of 10 from three. Uh, I'll, I'll take that number <laughs> any day of the week. Uh, they rebounded well. They had a lot of assists. They, those three guys are three backcourt guys combined for 13 assists, led by Jeremy Roach's six assists. Um, it, it was it was a really solid game by our backcourt guys. And, and that leads me to, even though we're talking about offense, to me, the most significant thing in this game was the way Duke turned up the defensive pressure. It was like you said, you know, the first 10 minutes or so of the game, they, they, Duke was struggling, struggling to score. They, they were doing okay on, on defense, but you know, nothing special. And then they really turned up the pressure and, and it felt like it absolutely flustered Gardner Webb um, on a couple occasions, Gardner Webb just passed the ball directly to Duke players for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> uh, they had shot clock violations where they weren't even aware that the shot clock was about to go off. They just dribbled the ball out of bounds, passed it out of bounds. Um, it, it felt like Duke was so intense on defense and so in Gardner Webb's face that, that those guys sort of panicked and didn't know what to do. And the key to that, of course, is if they are able to break through the, the, the defense that they're getting from Keels, Roach and Moore, you know, right up there in their shorts, then they're getting close to the lane where Mark Williams is getting ready to swat anything that comes comes in there. And, and that's the key. That's the key to great pressure defense. That's why, remember, you asked in the stats game and I had the highest prediction for Duke's defense. I'm feeling really good about my prediction because we are our guards are pressuring the ball and we have big men on the back line who are not letting guys get shots in the lane. That is a formula for great defensive efficiency. And as you pointed out, Jason, Joey Baker contributed in a big way to that as well. He was he was in the right position to capitalize on on errant throws and errant passes from Gardner Webb. I think everyone was was locked in tonight to that and you can see it in the final score, 92 to 52. You don't have a a final score like that if you haven't aren't putting in a really really strong defensive effort. This was not a 70 to 52 affair where they just didn't have as many possessions. This was Duke had an op- Duke was able to score 92 while just limiting to Gardner-Webb. Now, Gardner-Webb is not the best team Duke is going to play this season, but limiting them to 52 is a great outcome. Hey, and, and my, last, my last good thing I want to talk about, um, uh, something about Joey Baker. Uh, did you notice, with four minutes left in the game, in a 40-point game, Joey Baker diving on the floor for a ball? Like, there was a loose ball, and Joey Baker, who has been through four years of Duke practices, is like, if there's a ball on the floor... You go after it. And, and I just, uh, that, that kind of effort in a game, he's a senior. He's out there playing with mostly younger guys. The game is, is over, and, and he's still diving hard on the floor to, to make a save and give Duke one extra possession in a 40-point game. How can you not love that kind of effort? All right, Jason, to, to the extent that there is, tell me about the bad from this game. Maybe you want to talk about the first 10 minutes where – as you said, Duke was not able to to kind of pull away early the way that we know that their talent should have dictated. Yeah, they, they were struggling, and, and most of the struggles seemed to be on offense. Um, and and uh, Sam, I want to give you credit. On the last podcast, we were talking about Paulo Bancaro and the fact that he on the season had hit 80% of his two-point shots. And you said, well, that's not sustainable. Um, you are correct, sir. <laughs> and, and no sooner do we need to see it than this game, the very next game, uh, Paulo took a lot of mid-range shots and very, very few of them went in. He, he hit shots when he got close right up to the basket, but his mid-range game was, was really struggling in this contest. And, and as a result, 
Um, he has, you know, pretty much unquestionably his worst game in a Duke uniform. Um, I mean, only 10 points, eight rebounds, pretty nice. Um, but just four of nine from the field. And, uh, and he felt, yeah, it, it felt like he was, you know, just off uh, a little bit. Um, not surprising considering he's probably also dealing with the pressure of, of that whole incident that we, uh, that we spent a good deal of time talking about earlier, uh, earlier on this podcast. But, uh, and I'm not concerned about Paulo, but, but he came back to, back to earth and that's going to happen. And then the one other bad thing I had um, at the 632 mark of the first half, there's some dude who ripped a ball away from Theo John. It was truly amazing to see the ball was in Theo John's hands and some guard for Gardner Webb grabbed it away from him. Now at that very moment, it was so improbable that it ripped open a hole in space time. And four aliens from the 13th dimension came out because they, they wanted to see what was going on as well <laughs> for Theo John to get a ball ripped out of his hands. I was just, I was shocked by that. I just wanted with to his, bring it with up. his enormous strong hands. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he he looked surprised as well. When the guy did it, Theo was like, what, how did you, how did that even happen? But so I, I want to go that's back. That's all I have to, for bad. <laughs> no. I, and I want to go back to your comments about Paulo and make it a, a bit more of like a, a macro question with this team. We've, talked so far and early in the season about how well Duke seems to be playing on defense and how mature the defense is, especially given that a lot of the, the workload is being shouldered by guys like Trevor Keels and Paulo Bancaro who are brand new to the program or who are new to college basketball and Theo John, who is at least new to the program. Although I'm not sure we had any doubts about his ability to play defense before the season on offense. I think that the, the team is still kind of getting up to speed. And what we've seen in each of these games is a different offensive approach, different guys playing well on, on offense every night. And as good as the individual talents are, I am not sure that this team is going to be able to get maximum offensive output from all the guys that are going to be scoring in double figures regularly this season. So that's like Wendell Moore, Paulo Bancaro, Trevor Keels, Mark Williams, maybe Jeremy Roach. Uh, I don't know that all of them are going to have good offensive nights and ever in a, in a game this season, because I just don't know if the, if the skills mesh with each other perfectly, there are going to be nights when it works for Mark Williams. There are going to be nights when it works for Paulo Bancaro. I just don't know how that's all going to come together. And by the way, excited to be proven wrong. Would love to have a game where I feel like it's not just that, you know, all the starters score in double figures, which they did tonight, but that they all look comfortable hitting those shots and that they're all sort of getting, getting theirs in the flow of the offense, even though they all, they all hit in double figures with, with Joey Baker also coming in with double figures. I don't feel like Paulo was, was completely comfortable with, with how his offense was progressing tonight. And there'll be, there'll be nights where Duke does put it all together on offense. That just wasn't quite tonight. So, so you're saying in a game where Duke scored 92 points, where Duke had six players hit double figures. Duke I think Duke's 50, offensive potential is higher than this. Duke had 57% of their shots. They had 45% of their threes. You think they can do better? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I think I, that I'm, I'm not going to disagree. By the way, I'm not going to disagree with you because there's no question Paulo can play better. Um, and I think a couple of the, these other guys can, can, can play better. It's not like this was a perfect game from anyone on the Duke team. But I think the luxury of what you're talking about is – I don't know that we need four guys to no. be on, you know, I, we can easily get, get by. We have so many weapons offensively that we can easily get by with two or three of these guys having, having good games. And I think it's highly unlikely that you're going to see four or five of them all have bad games at the same time. I'm glad that, that Duke has Wendell Moore sort of at the center of this team to 
to adjust Amen. things. And he to, was great. He was great in the second half. And just every time they took a shot of him, he was huge smiles. I thought he was going to have another 10, five and five game, but he came out too early. He didn't have enough assists. Um, and if, if it had been a closer game and he'd played a little bit more, he would have had another 10, five and five game. Instead, he was 14, five rebounds and only three assists. I love that we, that we put that in the stats game this year, because I think that's going to be, that's going to be a really fun one to track. And, and I have the high number and I guarantee you, he's don't you, th- if we did it, if we redid it oh, right I, now, I, I already, I already feel good about your prediction. <laughs> if we redid it, we'd all be in the high teens. I think my high number was 11 or something like that. Uh, whatever it was. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel really great about that one. All right. So we're not going to do a, a full Lafayette preview. Uh, we've, we had sort of too much to cover today as it was. So well, I got, I got a little about t- that, but I got a but, tiny bit. I want to say about them. Yeah. I was going to say, Jason has a little bit on Lafayette. So Jason, tell us a bit uh, about Lafayette, the team that Duke is facing on Friday at Cameron and Sure. So uh, it's a really interesting kind of team. Um, Duke hasn't played a team that, that plays really fast um, yet this season. Um, Lafayette, this is a this this is a game that you would think Duke is going to come darn close to, if not exceed a hundred points. Um, they have played three games so far this year. They played Syracuse. They lost ninety-seven to sixty-three to Syracuse. They played Cornell. They lost ninety to eighty-five to Cornell, and they played Penn. They lost eighty-five to fifty-seven to Penn. So the three games they played this year, their opponents are averaging better than ninety points per game, which is a big number. <laughs> As a result, they are one of the worst defensive teams in all of Division One, And the big thing teams are able to do against them is hit three-pointers. Get this. Get ready for it. Lafayette's opponents are hitting 45% of their threes in the season. Whew. That's a big number. <laughs> that is a really big number. And the weird quirky thing about Lafayette is even though their games are really fast, And even though their opponents are scoring tons of points, Lafayette's like average possession is actually kind of slow. Like they take their time on offense, but then the opposing team runs up the floor and scores really fast with Lafayette's on defense, which is not a good formula for Lafayette. Um, They are, uh, they're, 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 there's just not a lot of things that this team does really well. They, they hold onto the ball fairly well. They're, they're good at not committing a lot of turnovers, Um, uh, you know, other than that, they're, and they shoot their free throw as well. They're a good free throw shooting team. Other than that, this Lafayette club is, is not even close to being in a league with, with Duke. By the way, they're, they're in the Patriot League, so, so they don't technically give out any scholarships, sort of like the Ivy League. The Patriot and the Ivy League don't give out scholarships to players. Um, and, uh, and Lafayette's one of the bottom. Ken Pomeroy has them as the number 315 team in the nation. They're, you know, they're one of the bottom 30, 40 teams in all of college basketball. Um, Pomeroy predicts that Duke will win this game 88 to 59, almost a 30 point margin of victory that he expects of every single game remaining on Duke's schedule. This is the one that, uh, Pomeroy thinks Duke has the least chance of losing. So, uh, this should be a fairly easy weekend for the blue devils as they take on Lafayette, who's just appears to be a team, not really in our league. And, and this should be a game that we at least threaten a hundred points. Yeah, and and maybe this is the game where we see the best version of the Duke offense merely as a result of the of the opponent not being so good. So we'll leave it there for now. We won't do player of the week because it's not the end of the week yet. It is just the beginning of the week. We certainly will be back if we get more, you know, real details about what happened over the weekend with the with the players on excursion to Chapel Hill. 
Uh, we'll certainly be back after the Lafayette game to review that. And and things are gearing up. We've got one more game after Lafayette before the huge game over Thanksgiving break against Gonzaga. So Duke fans are certainly looking forward to that. We'll be back to talk about all of that uh, as soon as as we as we need to and as soon as we can. So for Jason Evans, who is here, for Donald Wine, who is not here, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 358 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. My apologies that we didn't get this out sooner to you because I know what time I was able to get around to editing this bad boy, but uh, you've got it in your ears. You've got it in your ears eventually, and we'll just have to do better next time. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcastgmail.com questions, comments, react to, to the way that, that we reacted to the news about Paulo Bancaro and Michael Savarino. And we will talk to you again very soon with that Duke band. Take us home.